for a time, get this, I used to work at the Walmart shoe department, you uh, Overall, it was a good job for me. Had a lot of interaction with people, picked up a lot of Spanish, and there were only a couple of things that drove me nuts about that job. First thing was the nickname that I picked up. Um, can you guess what kind of nickname your dear loving friends might give you if you work at a shoe department? Yeah. I became affectionately known as the Al Bundy of my dear friends. Dear church friends, mind you. They get used to it, I guess. The other thing that really bothered me about that job had to do with two days of the year that I knew I was always having to work, the two busiest days of the year. I'm talking these are the top days we make the most money, the most people, mobs of people would just come into that uh, department and there'd be people flying everywhere, shoes in the air and on the floor. It was just a horrible, horrible event. And those two days were always Christmas Eve and the day before Mother's Day. Because apparently nothing says, I love you, Jesus, Savior of the world, and Mama, Lady Who Gave Me Life, more than a cheap pair of slippers. And really, I, I had dreams about the slippers, friends. We had a whole wall, and in those days, that whole wall would come down to the floor, and there'd be mound. People would go through and ripping, looking for their sizes. And even after a while, they'd just take whatever was there, whether it was their Mama's size or not. Golly. Not exactly what I think Julia Ward Howe and Anna Jarvis had in mind as they were trying to organize their first Mother's Day. Because for them, what they were trying to do was a lot different than maybe what we try to do. They wanted to honor, surely, and recognize uh, special women in their lives. But for them, their focus was about bringing recognition that there was still things that needed to be done to, to better our livelihood. Working conditions were horrible. Living conditions were terrible. And these moms were called to stand up and to say something about it. That we were tired of seeing the effects of war and poverty on our families and on our children. We all know anything. But you don't get in between a mama bear and her cub. Mama bear say what? Now, even though they didn't understand it while he was right there speaking it to them, I think that is exactly what Jesus, the good shepherd, is saying about his relationship, himself, and his flock, his sheep. Says, I am the gate. I'm the one that watch over the sheep. Later on in the passage, Jesus would say, I am the good shepherd. Nobody takes my life. I lay down my life for my sheep. Willingly, These other people come, and they come from their, for their own reasons. And when danger presents itself, they are quick to flee because they don't love the sheep like I do. I lay my life down for my sheep. Mama Bear say what? Jesus is maybe saying the same thing. And, of course, these words from Jesus about being the good shepherd, they remind us of that crazy prophet Ezekiel. And I say that with all good respect. I mean, if you've ever read the book of Ezekiel, golly. But one of the images that Ezekiel gave us was about the leaders of the people. 
how they were shepherds of the people, but how God was sending them the message that he saw what kind of leaders they were. They didn't care about the needs of the people. They didn't care about the well-being of the people. They didn't care about the livelihoods of the people. In fact, all they really cared about was themselves. The prophet Ezekiel calls them out and says that God has something to say about that. And Jesus picks up on this image. Jesus says, I'm not one of them. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate. I'm the one who calls the sheep. And they hear the voice of the good shepherd. Now, I don't know a lot about raising or taking care of sheep like I know some of you do in our congregation. But what I've been led to understand is that sheep don't really care about a whole lot other than where their next meal is right in front of them, where that next bit of grass is going to come so they can stick in their mouth. So much so that uh, they can get so in tune on that that they don't pay attention to what's around them quite often. Sometimes even when danger is so close because they've been so focused on What's in front of them, they don't see the danger until it's too late. Is that fair? Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And they know that when danger is approaching, they can hear my voice and my voice will call them back and they will know it's me. They don't listen to those other people because they don't know that voice. And I kind of wonder... If the interchange between shepherd and sheep goes something like this. What do you want? When do you want it? How do you want it? (laughs) Who's your daddy? What about your mom? Now, I am convinced that will preach in so many ways that I can't even begin to start with. But I think we need to remind ourselves of those words that Jesus gave us about who he was. About who he thought he could be for our life. Whoever enters by me, Jesus said, will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. That's all the sheep really want, right? A place where they can go and have what they need right before them. Jesus says, I can give that. That's what I do. And I wonder, as as we read this passage from John, as John's writing down these words, he doesn't want us to remember not only those words from Ezekiel, but... Also those words from Psalm 23. So many of us know Psalm 23. So many of us have it memorized. And I found, unfortunately, though, that uh, Psalm 23 has become to be the death song. Right? A funeral comes along and says, and the family says, we got to read Psalm 23. Why? Because that's what we read at funerals. And surely there's a lot of comforting words for people who are mourning the loss of a loved one in Psalm 23. But I'm on one of those small missions in my life to take away the idea of a death psalm. Because really, if you look at Psalm 23, it's not talking about death. It's talking about life. It's talking about life 
now. And something, something that that shepherd, that sheep found. And the shepherd, you know those words, the Lord is my shepherd. Shall not want. I guess if we're going to be honest with each other, well, if I'm going to stand up here and be honest with you and you pretend to listen, I kind of cringe. Cringe when I recite that verse sometimes. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. Is that hard for you to say? Because I don't know about you, but I find myself often wanting a whole lot. What would our life look like, though, if we could learn to not want? What could be different about each day that we wake up if we could learn to not want so much? You see, I think what we understand is not so much that we just have to shun away from all things of the world and we can't have things. It's not what it's talking about, but sometimes you, you know how it is. We, we, we want God to give us all those things that we want. How many times have I heard preachers tell you, tell their congregations to just pray in Jesus' name for that $60,000 toy? Really? Is that what God meant? Say we had an abundant life? I think there's a fine line we need to be careful of when we remember that Christ gives life abundantly, but that doesn't mean that we have to have an abundant life. Are y'all with me? Life isn't about having the most toys, no matter what the bumper sticker tells you. That fine line. We have to be careful about praying to God for all of our expensive toys because God may just come down and tell you, You don't need me for that. There's special financing that'll help you get that a lot better. There's extra hours at the office that'll help you get that. There's clearance deals and savings accounts for all of that. I haven't come to give you fancy stuff. I've come to give you abundant life. I've come to give you what you need so that each day you can come in and out in and out, in and out of the gate and to not be worried about a thing. That's an abundance. If I can know that I can wake up and that whatever I need for that day is given to me, something about my daily bread that we pray about every week, if I can wake up and trust that my good shepherd says, hey, that's what I want for you. There's a whole lot of confidence that we take from that. Then again, while some of us may find ourselves sometimes on one end of the spectrum, we think life is all about abundance and having an abundance of stuff and that God wants us to have so much stuff, some of us find ourselves way on the other end as well. No, 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 God doesn't want to have stuff. In fact, God wants me to suffer. God wants me to to be tested. God wants me to go through. I don't think that's an accurate assumption either. I watched a movie recently. Maybe you've seen it. It's called August Osage County. 
pretty powerful story, and I like to say that if you've seen that movie, you only think you've seen it if you've watched it with a, if you haven't watched it with a social worker. You watch this movie with a social worker, it's a whole nother movie. It's a story about a family, a very dysfunctional family. If you think you got problems, friends, watch this movie. There's a point in this movie where so many things are going on, and one of the characters, played by Julia Roberts, they're only, she's in the car with her daughter, and all of a sudden she comes to a screeching halt in a frenzy with everything on her mind, everything going on, everything she's learning about her family and seeing happen in front of her eyes. She slams on the brakes and she tells her daughter, don't die before me. Just survive. See, with all the pain and with all the suffering that her character had endured, with all the things that she had set before, the only advice she could give to her daughter was to survive. how unfortunate it is when we follow that vice as well. We think the only point in life is just to get through, just to survive. But Jesus didn't say, I am the gate for the sheep, and all who come before me are my thieves and bandits, but the sheep do not listen to them. Jesus didn't say, I am the gate, whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus didn't say the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus didn't say I came that they may have life and have it abundantly just so you and I can get by. Just so we can survive. I kind of think Jesus meant what he said. I want you to have an abundant life full of the confidence, knowing that I will care for you, that I am the good shepherd, that I will lead you to still waters, and you will have rest. See, that's what Jesus tells us. We're going to have that freedom. So many times we think church is about God keeping the chokehold on us, keeping us in line. But Jesus said, the sheep come in and they come out of the gate because I let them. There's freedom to find themselves. There's freedom to find life. There's also the promise that there's somewhere to come back to. There's also the promise that you are being cared for, whether you realize it or not. You've got to hear the voice. Have to hear the voice saying, I want you to have an abundant life. So, I think we should pray because often, often we make God to be out to, to be this magic genie for us, or we cut the promises of God short. And if you want to begin to have, to have a renewed sense of the abundant life that God gives for all of us, would you please pray with me? Oh God, what a promise you have given to us. What a hope that we have in your promise that there is so much you are willing to offer us. Forgive us when we seek out our own livelihoods and cheat your promise. But free us now, God. 
so that we can know what it means to have the abundant life He promises ours. In Christ's name we pray and trust. Amen.